welcome to Trek Companion. This is episode 91. I'm your host, Brian Williams. I am Adam Caesar. I'm Stephen Embry. And today we're going to be discussing Next Gen's fifth season episodes, Ethics, The Outcast, and Cause and Effect. Here we go. Ethics, Season 5, Episode 16, Production Number 216. Original air date, March 2nd, 1992. Directed by Chip Chalmers. Story by Sarah B. Cooper and Stuart Charno. Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore. Music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Patty Yasutaki as Alyssa Ogawa, Brian Bonzel as Alexander Roshenko, and Caroline Kaba as Toby Russell. Worf is seriously injured when a support beam breaks and causes a heavy container to fall on him. He awakens in sickbay to shocking news. He is paralyzed from the waist down. Dr. Crusher informs Worf that she has sent for a specialist, a neurosurgeon named Dr. Russell, but stresses to him that his chances of gaining full recovery of his legs are minimal at best. Klingon or no, he is going to have to accept his condition. Beverly, he can't make the journey you're asking of him. You want him to go from contemplating suicide to accepting his condition and living with a disability, but it's too far. Ethics. Mr. Caesar, why don't you start us off? Um, I enjoyed this episode. I think it definitely holds up for several reasons. It's got a lot to say. It's an interesting story, um, and it moves our characters forward in a number of different ways. So um, I thought it was a pretty darn good episode. Mm. Which characters uh, do you feel like it moved forward? Um, I would say you could say Worf to start off with. I think if you look at him in the first half or maybe the first two-thirds of the episode, you you feel sorry for him, but not. You're like, he's stuck there. But I think he's he comes out of it, and I think he comes closer to his son. He obviously becomes closer to Deanna. Um. There's a lot of interesting information in here about, you know, basically Hippocratic Oath, making a patient sicker to make them better. You know, there's just a lot of interesting things to say. Yeah, I think with the characters, like with Worf, I mean, the biggest thing is that he learns to be a little more vulnerable. He has no choice here. He's he's kind of uh, thrown into this where he doesn't have, if he's going to have any kind of relationship with his son, he has to make a choice if he's going to, you know, open up to him like this or just totally not let him see him at all, you know. So I think that mm-hmm. there's that vulnerability also, like like Adam alluded to with with Troy. This is one of these big moments in these latter season Wharf Troy saga thing going on, and you know, I like I like when Troy is very real with Wharf when when she just you know gives him gives him a talking to essentially at some point, you know, about how what his priorities should be and so forth. Yeah, there, how much? Go ahead. I was gonna say I was gonna. Yeah, there was a good scene where Deanna just basically tells him to suck it up when he's laying there in bed. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that, that was. I thought that was a good scene. She just really stood up to him and said, you know, you need to start thinking about other people besides yourself. And um, I think that was the first turning point for him. Go ahead, Brian. Well, something on Warp there. I was curious about how much of. So he's he's eventually presented with this choice. Of, basically, it comes down to ritual suicide or the experimental surgery, right? Because he's not gonna he's not gonna live as what he feels is um, you know less than 100 percent of a person. And um, what was the other choice there? Oh, right, the uh, the little stimulator things. That's you know these these are unacceptable options. So for him, really, it comes down to his only choice is ritual suicide or experimental surgery. Um, and it definitely seems like he's made the choice about that to be for the ritual suicide as long as it's going to be Riker that helps him. And then Riker says, "No, you have to use your son." I guess my question is, did he choose the experimental surgery because he did not want to ask his son to kill him? Was that so direct? How much of that was the reason? Do you think it was? I think it's a good question. It's hard to say the waters are really muddy here. You know, there are a lot of circumstances that come into play and then you you can't really know for sure what, what factors and what, what would happen if this doctor wasn't on board at all? You know, would there have been any convincing him of, you know what, maybe it's worthwhile for your son to you stayed alive, even being, you know, Having having this disability and so forth, you know, I I don't know. 
Um, yeah, I, I definitely think it's a fair question, Brian. I kind of, I thought about it, but I kind of, kind of prefer to think of it this way. There was a scene with um, Riker and Picard, you know, where Riker's mm-hmm. yelling at, basically yelling at Picard. He yells at a lot, a lot at Picard in these episodes. It's pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, um, you know, he's trying to morally justify what he's being asked to be done. And um, at that end of the scene, I liked where Picard tells him, you know, Worf wouldn't ask you to do this if he couldn't count on you. So I kind of like to look at it this way, that maybe subconsciously Worf knew that Riker would get him to fight for his life. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Might be a stretch, but it's kind of the way I like to look at it. At first, I I thought it was a little odd that he would ask that he would ask Riker as opposed to Picard, since Picard was like his Chadich, and, you know, they, Mm. they had, he had more of a relationship with Picard in Klingon culture, although obviously Riker has um, has had intimate dealings with the Klingon culture, like when he was, you know, stationed tempor- on temporary assignment on Klingon uh, Bird of Prey. But Worf wasn't there, right? I mean, so my point is they weren't they didn't share the Klingon culture together, really. Well, I think um, in the way well, that I he think, did with Picard. Well, again, I, I look at it this way. I think if Picard would have done it almost immediately, just the way they had, um, you know, they wrote, wrote, wrote him <laughs> for the episode. Would you consider ritual? Sure, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, but it, it, Picard was the one that, you know, he was the one that was basically on Worf's side through the whole thing. Like, um, well, you know, he's going to kill himself. Let's all get prepared. And then, you know, well, let's let him do the surgery because yeah, he, you're can't, right. I mean, he's, he, can't, he can't do what you're asking him to do. So he I fights, think, he, he recommends Riker <laughs> <laughs> do the suicide, help with the suicide. Then he recommends uh, <laughs> Crusher. He just wants to get rid of Yeah, he just he, he, maybe he had his eye on Troy or something. I don't know. But yeah, then he then he recommends Crusher go through with the experimental surgery that only has a thirty-seven percent success rate or something like thirty-four, or whatever. So yeah, maybe he just headed out for uh, for. <laughs> uh, at least he didn't, you know, send him back into the. Uh, <laughs> As soon as he's well, would you mind going down to the, <laughs> checking out some of these barrels? <laughs> this kind of a, I, I don't think it's supposed to be funny, though. but it's a little bit makes me smile out of humor. A little bit the opening whenever that barrel just hits him on his back. I don't know. I think they could have come up with something a little bit more dramatic or interesting from to break his back. I mean, I, I guess because it seems, I mean, you know, it's just like plastic something, you know, and the way it bounces and stuff. Yeah. Make it that, could be like full of a lot of eat, stuff. You know, but yeah. I looked it up, but it was actually, they, they for the stunt, they made one out of like styrofoam, which is probably why it bounces the way it does. Well, <laughs> uh, yeah. mm. uh, it's certainly, it, it's a poignant, another thing on Warfare, it's poignant that he asks Troy to raise his son. Mm-hmm. Um, what what do you say to that? Except, of course, but yeah, I mean, the guy's about to go into this surgery. Yeah, I don't know, but I, you know, it crossed my mind a little bit. And I guess it's not really the point, but it crossed my mind a little bit of like how uh, these legal issues work, you know, in the Federation, you know, because it's like they're in the nothing in writing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, there's everything recorded, and that's what makes it okay, or something, you know? Is it like just oh, oh, you know, I said it on this day in the in the operating room, so. You know, the microphones picked it up or something. I mean, you know, how how do we know that? You know, it's, she's not a relative in the least bit, mm-hmm. you know. So, okay, I'll did, do it. Thanks. All right, bye. See ya. Did you, you see um, Kern and Troy in a custody battle? <laughs> <laughs> I thought the A and B fit well together in this episode. B being the Dr. Russell Crusher stuff? Yeah. You know, the one thing that bothers me about that... Um, I like that, you know, so she's, she's doing these experimental medical procedures. Um, you know, I, I generally like that, that conflict, that drama there. What, but what I did not like, what bothered me, what kind of took away from it was, okay, they rescue the, the people from the, you know, accident or whatever. And Russell uses one of her other experimental medications on a guy who dies. I mean, he's he's saying they're de- he's dead. He's like dead, and she's explaining this to Crusher. And I almost felt like that was just too far. I was too black, black or white. Like, okay, well, obviously this woman is doing something wrong. Right, right. Short of, but without that scene, it was a much more interesting conversation to mm-hmm. me. When I could, I could empathize a little bit with Russell. You know, 
but there was that there was the seat that generally how she's she wants to stay distant she wants to keep a distance from uh her patients mm-hmm. and she explicitly says you know i don't want to get close to wharf or get to know him or anything um i don't know i just felt like it would have been more interesting if it had been a little more about is it okay to do these these experimental procedures if it's life or death maybe that's that's an interesting conversation as opposed to i don't know freak medical experiments and guinea pigs and i think pretty much everybody agrees that there's something wrong with that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i would have yeah, liked it to that. be less black or white that that kind of took away from it for me they, they made a line for you and crossed it right yeah then then it wasn't really then she just became a bad guy and i wasn't really yeah. interested in her point of view she wasn't going to convince me of anything at that point mm-hmm. i don't know that's just it's kind of minor comment but i did think it kind of fundamentally uh robbed some of that storyline for me but we we've seen that story similar storyline i remember there was a voyager episode that i thought did that sort of story i mean the entire episode focused on if you remember that um uh the guy that had done the experiments on the the tuaxians oh yes Mm -hmm. you know i remember that episode being really good um the actress here maybe hurts it just a tiny bit. She's okay. She's she's not great. She's okay. Um, hmm. Speaking of acting, uh, once again, was impressed by the Alexander actor Brian Bonzel. I mean, just as mm-hmm. for a kid actor, you know. I mean, it's just so emotive. You know, I mean, it's so strong. I thought even just his looks. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. there was one point when he just turns around and, and gives his father a look and doesn't even say anything, and then turns and leaves. You know. And I'm just like, God, yeah. You just don't see. We talked about that. I think the last time he was mm-hmm. on. You know, mm-hmm. as far as these are the kind of things we expect from adults, but it's so much of the time it's 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 so hit or miss with kids. And so, as a general rule, kid actors are going to be bad. <laughs> so when you find somebody that's really good, it's, it's such an exception. And yeah, he's yeah he's very good. Um, but uh, Caesar, you had said. We so we've mostly talked about Worf here. Are there any other characters then you think? Because for example, I don't really feel like Crusher changes much in this episode. Are there any other characters though besides Worf that you felt like? Could you still- um, I think we you know we see a better uh, we see Riker move forward a little bit in this episode. We obviously and when I was referring to we obviously see the you know Deanna Worf relationship push forward. Mm-hmm. So I mean I definitely think you could say at least those three. Um. In this episode, yeah, I would kind of agree with you. Even though I thought it was a strong, strong episode for Crusher, you know, she had, you know, she had a lot in this episode, and I thought she did a pretty good job at it. But I'd kind of agree with you. There's not, she's, she's not changed in this episode. Yeah, I always remember this as being like a, a warp episode. Watching it, it wasn't as much that as I remembered. You know. Um, it's certainly very significant to Worf's story arc, mm-hmm. um, and I agree with you that you know how you've literally got him by the end of the episode saying he wants his son's help, for example. Um, but uh, it wasn't as exclusively a Worf episode as I'd recalled. Um, what about you, Steve? Do you feel like Caesar said he thinks it holds up? Do you think this one? You think it holds up? Yeah, I, I do. I do. I think, well, we're, you know, we watched it. These three episodes are all very strong episodes. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. Maybe this is the weakest of the three, but that's not that's not such a bad thing given this lineup. But, um, yeah, I felt it was strong and I enjoyed it. I, you know, there, it's not perfect, you know, but it's, it's certainly memorable. Um, I think the most interesting things for me are the questions raised in any kind of issue like this is, you know, like what do what do we live for? You know, I mean, he you know you can he uses honor as an excuse for anything. As, as we've seen before, they can use honor as an excuse to to take any kind of action or inaction. And essentially, you know, is is it worthwhile to go forward? You know, living with that impairment, and then you have considerations of what about your friends, your family, your children? Do all those are should all those play a significant factor in your choice whether or not to to live? And is it even your choice? To live or die, you know. It's. It, I think those are the interesting questions. Um, those are things that they're interesting regardless of this episode. But I think the episode just kind of brings them to the forefront. 
Well, yeah, it's we we kind of have two big scenes on that. There's a scene with Riker and Picard. Good scene. Uh, Riker and Picard, and um, Riker's arguing that he can live a full life um, as is, and, uh, and then Crusher says the same thing, I think, to Picard. Yeah, to Picard, talking about um, you know paraplegics can lead a full life. Um, it doesn't seem. I'm, I'm, I was always a little surprised. I, it makes sense that Picard is kind of advocating for Worf's way. Um, but it doesn't seem like it would be so simple. Right. You know, like how would the Federation, how would Starfleet feel if he, if he called them up and said, uh, take Worf off the, uh, the roster because he killed himself. And I said it was okay because he, you know, like this episode – Put it put it another way. So this episode does ask some interesting questions about the topics you guys have brought up. I feel like maybe they had an opportunity to ask more specific questions about um, the ethics of assisted suicide, and it's it's more like you know it's the ethics of experimental medical treatments. You know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. doesn't I, I think that maybe that was a chance to ask some questions about suicide and that they didn't, especially if you think about when this was made. This isn't long after Dr. Korvorkian and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, but it's it's good. Um, uh, I remember I remember it being a very standout episode when it first aired um, and it still it still stays with me. Uh, what's it about, guys? We're kind of we've kind of hit on it, but let's narrow it down. Well, we can go with um, obviously, you know. So it, I think the question is there. I don't think it is as strong as maybe like what you would what you had wanted is kind of what I got from your um what you were just saying there. But I think you can say there's the questions of assisted suicide in there, obviously, with Riker being asked to do that. Um, there's questions of ethics um, that hold up in this episode. Um, I think. What else do we got, Steve? Yeah, it's hard to say. That I think mean, that's the, the the trick is that is it more about medical ethics or is it about the question of one's right to choose what you know whether or not to live depending on you know the lifestyle involved. I mean, I think to me the biggest thing that stands out is quality of life issues and does one have the right to say. Um, I choose to not live given that uh, given my condition I'm in or something like that. And, and wh- what are the ethics beyond that and how does it affect mm-hmm. your loved ones and so forth? Yeah, so my two comments. So, so I guess what I was getting at a minute ago was I feel like maybe if they'd focused on one of those two mm. things a little more, sure. that it would, it would have been a stronger episode. Um, maybe they kind of divided their, their forces a bit. Um, but I – Getting back to my very first question about did Worf make this decision uh, because he didn't want to ask Alexander to kill him. You know, an extension of that is he didn't want he didn't want to leave Alexander. Um, there, you, you talk about this, and, and the first thing that I think of is responsibility. So you can you can make a lot of these decisions, but once you're a parent. Now you have a responsibility, and Dad is going to make some decisions for you, you know. And he is an honorable guy, so all things being equal, he's going to do the thing that also is best for his son. But his question, I guess, to himself is, you know, is it best for my son to see my example of the perfect Klingon, you know, mm, uh, which would right. mean killing myself, or is it best for my son for me to fudge this mm-hmm. <laughs> a little bit? So that I'm there for him, you know, and even there, he's still not, you know, because he has a guaranteed way to be there for him and that's to live as a paraplegic, but he does not do that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, he does. Well, you got to, well, I guess in this situation, since it's kind of ambiguous, you have to ask yourself the question is um, how well do you know Warp as a character? And then you have to make your own choice. Did he, which way he did it? Well, I think you're right. I think this is the weaker of the three today, but still good. And that shows you that the other two are great. And, Let's get on talking to those about those. Uh, but first, six degrees for ethics. 
Uh, man, nobody. The the one guest here never came back, so we got like fake question. These aren't really uh, new <laughs> listeners. Uh, we do when we do these six degrees questions. They are where we ask about an actor that's played the same or played a different role uh, in another Star Trek series. But in this case, that didn't happen. So I'm just have some normal type trivia questions. Sad face. Um, Steve. Yes. Picard encourages Riker to assist Worf's ritual suicide. But in DS9's fourth season, Cisco is against Worf assisting his brother's ritual suicide. What was the name of that episode? Mm. Yeah, I certainly remember the episode. Um, gosh. Man, the, t- the title is totally not coming to me. I don't know. Mr. Caesar. Um, I have no idea either, but I'll take a stab and just say Kern. Sons of Moog. Ah, uh, yes, yes. Adam, in the Season 7 episode, this is Next Gen Season 7 episode, Parallels, it is revealed that in an alternate reality, Worf married a member of the Enterprise's crew when she helped him recover after the spinal surgery in this episode, Ethics. What was the crew member? Troy. You were correct, it was Troy. One nothing, moving on. The Outcast, Season 5, Episode 17, Production Number 217, Original Air Date, March 16th, 1992. Directed by Robert Shearer, written by Jerry Taylor, music composed by Jay Chataway. Guest cast include Kalian White as Krite, Megan Cole as Noor, and Melinda Kulia as Soren. While investigating the disappearance of a Genoli spacecraft, the crew finds reason to believe the missing ship is stranded in an abnormal pocket called Null Space. Riker and Soren, a member of the Genolian race, begin preparing to rescue the craft, and the two strike up a friendship. Their relationship develops quickly as the pair question each other about mating habits, since the Genali are androgynous. Occasionally, among my people, there are a few who are born different who are throwbacks from the era when we all had gender some have strong inclinations to maleness and some have urges to be female the outcast steven yes and the outcast sure um uh, this was a very memorable episode and i certainly enjoyed it um i think it had a lot to say of various social issues um, I think I think if this like premiered now, it'd be a little kind of on the nose and obvious. Uh, Twenty-two years ago, though, I think it, um, you know, I think it was uh, one of those kind of perfect uses of science fiction in order to address something that they might have been hesitant to address in a more straightforward fashion. Um, I found that I, I found that the you know the primary story, you know. I don't know if this is a good or bad thing, but it makes the B story entirely forgettable. I couldn't remember the science. The science could have been um, they're playing Candyland on in ten four. I, I had no recollection of the science part of it for that B story, but the mm-hmm. you know it's a very memorable uh, A story, and you know it certainly has a lot to say. This episode, yeah, I, I remember this episode very well, um, and, and I agree with you. I think it's. It's easy to there, – there are things you can kind of easily knock this episode for today, but at the time it really was – it really was kind of a step ahead. Um, and really – well, no, I don't want to start off with even small negative comments. Um, but there's – yeah, there's a lot in here. That that's still I think uh, relevant and and speaks to me. There's there's good performances, you know. But it is it is the kind of thing that we we talk about. What what made Star Trek famous, you know, and, and allegory and um, trying to bring to light uh, these issues that that are difficult to discuss, especially twenty some odd years ago. Um, in ordinary context, and you can use the veil of science fiction to have that conversation. Um, Adam, what were your first thoughts here? Um, 
Yeah, I would agree with you that the um this this episode kind of if you look at it closely, it has a lot to say. I think um watching it now, you know, Steven's Steve's right that you know you can you can say you can put a lot of meaning into this episode about you know being homosexual in our society and and being an outcast and you know ooh you can be cured. I mean, I think some of those things are just now finally beginning to break away. Um, but I also kind of like the beginning, the, the beginning of the episode where their relationship is forming is more, to me, it was more about gender, the roles of gender and what's expected of each. You know, you got to hear Riker explain how things used to be. Um, I think Crusher had a line in there like, oh, everything's equal. And then they had the poker game where Worf is the male chauvinist, you know. <laughs> and so um, it asked a lot of questions about um, gender and the roles of gender. In That's society. one of the areas where it feels a bit dated to me, though, because clearly their their concept of gender are, you know, even twenty years ago, it's it's already a little different now, you know. Oh, I'd uh, agree. They're definitely eighties uh, definitions. Yeah, there's a. I mean, you know, and it's a little stereotypical, like I said, with Worf being the kind of being the chauvinistic male in that the poker scene. Um, but that was to me that was clearly asking those questions about the roles of gender in the beginning of the episode, and then I think it moves into the more of, um, you know, sexual orientation in the second half, the later half of the episode, and um, you know we can get into this later, but um, the end. I'm not sure how I feel about the ends, but we can talk about that in a little bit if you want. No, what what do you think? Well, I mean, you know, I, I mean. So I don't know if I would if they made that episode today would they would they make that same choice where you know saying you can be cured cured of who you are is kind of basically I kind of how I got the end message from that. So well I don't think I don't think that uh they're saying this is a good thing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I think it's presented as a loss as a as a failure, you know. I don't think they're saying Great, she's fixed. I don't think they mean that at all. You know what struck me is that it, it kind of, it, I kind of reminded me of the ending specifically. Reminded me of like one flew over the cuckoo's nest minus the suffocation. You know, I don't. I'm not saying that it would have been better if like Riker would have shot her or something. But it's it's an interesting <laughs> it's an interesting notion. You know, it's like okay, I mean, it's certainly tragic. I mean, it's like oh, this is awful. You know, they basically. You know, gave her a lobotomy or whatever. You know, wiped mm-hmm. something that changed her as, as fundamentally, and this is a tragic thing. I don't know that there's a good way of showing the, that tragedy, the full weight of it, unless it's just pondered the notion of let's let's wipe away someone's persona, you know, to make them fit in. Just that idea of that, how tragic it is. Yeah, no, I, I think maybe yeah, I, I would agree with Steve. I don't think went far enough and sh- you know because she seemed perfectly happy there at the end i'm not denying i'm not saying that right it wasn't devastating for Riker and it wasn't tragic but i mean you know w- I'm, my question is obviously they did it back then would they make that same choice today or would they do something a little bit more drastic to show the severity of what mm, has been what done mm. well you know one of my minor complaints about this episode um again you know we try to be at least I don't. I don't know. I don't tell you guys what to do, but I try to be as apolitical as possible on our show because I know we have, I know we have people that are feel extreme, uh, you know, liberals and conservatives, and I and I try to respect all viewpoints. So that's why I basically because I I know what my my feelings are, and I think, you know, most people have probably figured it out by now which side of the spectrum I land on. But regardless, I try to keep that out of our show to an extent because you know I can see how somebody was the extreme other direction, um, that would be a massive turnoff. And our, the point of our show is not to, uh, you know, have, have that kind of conversation. Well, um, some, some but, Star Trek episodes lead into political topics. Or, absolutely. Know, no, no, I'm not, I'm not saying we should stay away from the, I'm just trying to keep oh, know, yeah. my, my, my personal views out of it a little bit personally, but It's very clear in retrospect that from the from the you know I don't know what you want to call it the Berman era you know um, next gen uh, DS9 Voyager Enterprise um, they do a lot of stuff but the one thing the one thing they're pretty afraid about um, 
is homosexuality. They go out of their way to really stay away from it. The few times they even touch on it, it and 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 I literally mean just a few times. You can you can count on one hand the number of episodes that even remotely approach the subject. Um, and for the the few times they do it, they do it pretty obliquely. They do it. You know, this is this is as much as they'll spend it, like say an entire. Ep- this is probably the only time they spend like maybe an entire episode on it. Really, I guess there's the one DSI episode, sort of. Um, but it isn't. It's the one thing that that continues to kind of date it all of it for me a little bit, in that it's the least. It's the least like representative of society at large. So if we just if we look at each of these Star Trek shows as you know microcosms for planet Earth at the time, um, and you say what what element of the population is missing, I think that it's fair to say that one is missing. You might be glad it's missing, but it is missing. Um, and it's. And it's 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 easy to see how maybe that came from maybe a little bit homophobic uh, producers. You know, I'm not. You know, I'm I'm trying to be as careful about this as I can. I love everybody, but you, well, know, you get what I'm saying. So fundamentally, in this episode, there's one thing that they do. It so holds it back for me, and it makes it feel even more dated and holds it back more. And that's casting the, the androgynous species, the Janai, are all women. No, they're all women. Yeah. They're all women. They're all women. And it just it just takes it away because you're like, well, yeah, she's she's androgynous. I just said it. <laughs> <laughs> so you know, Soren is Soren, she is androgynous. I mean, that was an easy thing to have Riker, you know, be with her. Sure. Um, what if, well, I don't, I don't know that I mentioned this, but, you know, a couple of months back, I talked about attending that convention, um, here in Kansas city yeah. and, uh, in Riker, I don't, I don't remember the question that prompted this, but, uh, Jonathan Frakes specifically said, uh, they, I don't know, someone brought up that episode and he specifically said, I, I just really wish they would have cast the male against huh. me. Um, wow. so it would have really hit home or something to that effect, you know? So, oh yeah, definitely would have, would have, that definitely would have been. When what year did the show come out? Ninety two. Ninety two. I mean, I'm gonna put a little balance in this for you. I mean, how many shows were hitting that topic then? I mean, I'm sure there were some. It's hard. It's hard, and it's hard to say. I mean, you talk about the the producers and what they choose to do. You know, I mean, it's yes. You know, there 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 were better choices that would have made it more representative. How much of it's them being homophobic? How much them being fearful of turning off some whatever they yeah. consider a significant percentage of their audience? You know, they're and that's bi- a, that is a fair thing. It is a business. Yeah, it's, 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 it's ratings. A, that's fair. Yeah. You know, you can't you can't expect you know. But on the other hand, I look back to the original series and the first interracial kiss. Yeah. True, <laughs> true. There are some cojones there, folks. Yeah, but I mean, but that was. That was even in the story. They neither of them were in control of themselves. <laughs> yeah. Back then. So I mean, come on. I mean, still you know, they, they showed it on screen. Yeah. You know, whether, you know and whatever. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I don't think it would have made much of a difference to the producers of Next Gen if Riker had been under some <laughs> spell. As far as it was just the, the yeah, thought but, of showing him kissing somebody that's a little bit male was unacceptable. You well, know. So again, this is. I well, think it's. Right. I, it's I, I I agree with that, you know. Like even I try to imagine me in 1992 seeing Riker kiss some guy, I probably would have, you know. I'm 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 a lot more open and liberal nowadays than I was when I was a kid, right? <laughs> you know, I didn't. I I grew up in you know, little middle of nowhere Missouri. I can tell you what my parents are like. They would not have liked it. <laughs> I don't think they would have let me watch the Star Trek anymore. No, I, Brian, I, t- I totally agree with you. It is definitely dated, but um, you have to look in and look at it in the context. To me, I look at it in the context of when it was made. I, w- I definitely wouldn't hold the show up to today's standards because that's why I was asking the question: Would they still yeah. have that same ending today well, in I a show like that? One thing they could have done at least they could have done then would have been made there to make the androgynous species a little bit more androgynous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Next. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. you remember the uh, the Telosians? I still can't tell you whether those people are male or female. <laughs> you know, 
Um, not saying that's who Riker should have made out with, but just that, <laughs> they, they probably could have gone a little more out of the way to make it a little bit more, a little less obvious uh, that they were yeah. a female. Because it's that subconscious, oh, Riker's just, you know. Getting with the girl. Yeah. Right. Um, she's like saying, you wear, you know, you wear makeup on your faces and all that stuff too, and you don't? And you wear, and then, wearing less of it, but you still have it on there. Come on. And then also, fundamentally, if this episode is about homosexuality, in a way, we're not really talking about it at all. The only real direct comparison is just that she's an outcast because she's she's one of the ones that's born different. You know, that is that's relative. But there isn't such a direct comparison because all she ever talks about is some of the time some of us are born with an inclination. For example, I have I was born with an inclination to be female, so I get with males. You know, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so True. they don't really actually True. say they. Not only do they not say it, they say the opposite. They say that if you are one gender then you must have an inclination with the other gender you know they kind of go out of their way to to define it that way which is not homosexual i think i think i think yeah and these are all good points i think where the episode does succeed is is well one i think the 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 primary actress playing you know opposite riker is very good Mm -hmm. i think it's it's so solid because it's mostly understated when she gets emotional it's still not like she's screaming and yelling at people it's just this kind of it's this like desperate injustice coming out, and you feel that, you know. I mean, it it made me somewhat emotional because I felt like what it made me feel was is that kind of general thing of all the oppression that goes on in general. You know, I mean, I, I you know you can talk about homosexuality or not, but you, when you when you span it out to whenever you oppress a group of people and 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 try to change them to something else and take away their rights you know and and i think she delivers that really well with the, with the speech and so forth you know that that's what i think is some of the best parts of the episode well there's there's you know libertarians right they're generally considered to be conservative but uh <laughs> i like the hey it's just live and let live so libertarian is pretty close to say a republican uh, they were talking about American politics here, but a libertarian says, "Gay people should be able to get married. Why not?" <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, I'm gonna now. I'm gonna say something very positive about this episode. Because um, when I was younger, I, I was raised by my conservative parents, um, and whether you agree with me or disagree with my politics, I think this is still a positive thing. So, if you're conservative, I hope I'm not offending you. Hear me out. So, you know, when I was younger, I was raised by my conservative parents, especially my father, incredibly conservative guy. Um, I, if I said some of the things my mother's mother still says this to this day, 80 years old, uh, I don't think anybody would ever listen to our podcast again. Um, yeah, Steve, you've met her, right? Um, but I, at some point, I... I became very passionate about LGBT rights and I've, you know, it's the only political thing I've ever personally, you know, actually participated in the politics side of it and volunteer and that kind of stuff, you know, and I am not personally uh, gay. I don't even actually know any gay people anymore, at least not to my knowledge. Um, But it's this concept of oppression and, and not getting to live the way you want that so does offend me as well. And here's the positive thing I want to say about this episode. I think this episode was one of the things that started changing that in my brain. Hmm. You know, And again, whether you agree with my politics or not, um, that's an amazing thing to say about an episode of television, is that it, that it, it had an influence on who I am today. I really think that. Because I look back and I try and every, people ask me that, especially when they say, oh, wait, you're not, you're married to a woman. You know, where do you, how, why, are you, why do you feel, you don't know any gay people. Why do you feel strongly about this? And I try to look back in my life and there's really not any specific, there's really not that many specific reasons. Okay. See, I'm doing what I said I wasn't going to do and go off into a question. <laughs> so my point is this episode, I think, was one of the few things that had a very practical effect on the way my, I looked at groups of people, not just gay people, but just groups of people in general. And um, I don't think I can say something more positive about an hour of television than that. Even if by today's standards, I look back and I'm like, you know, they could have done this to make it better. For example, you know, casting, making them all uh, women, whatever, all that stuff aside, 
1992, this episode spoke to me. I mean, it really did. I remember the first time I saw it. You know. Mm-hmm. Well, Brian, that's a, yeah, that's sorry, a good. Go I was going to say, Brian. Well, it's a good thing you you have strong convictions for everybody to be treated fairly and the same. So. And that, and that's a, and you know it is it's a it's a big deal obviously for an episode to have that kind of effect and and that comes back to the context issue you know we can talk about how now it's, yeah. does this hold up et cetera et cetera but when we think about okay in 1992 what if Jonathan Frakes been kissing a male actor <laughs> and you know I don't know make a list of things would it have as much of an impact on other people because if it impacted you it probably affected other people and. And would it have affected as many in that time, you know, if it had made more radical choices? I mean, it's a tricky thing, but it's yeah, it might have tell you, it might have gone too far, Brian. You might have went totally the other direction if you know, like you're <laughs> making out with, making out with a dude. You know, you might not have been able to handle it. <laughs> yep. No. Hey, my dad. Remember that John Cougar Mellencamp video from the '80s, Cherry Bomb? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. It was too far for my dad. I think if he'd gone a little bit, not so far. You know. Might have turned my dad around. Instead, never listened to John Cougar Mellencamp again. Wow. Yeah, that's my dad. <laughs> Sorry, folks. I'm not like him. That's what we got to do. We got to be better. Make, you know, our kids got to be better. <laughs> my kid's gonna. I want my kid to be better than me. I want him to be a better person than me. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so it's hard to talk about this episode without talking about what it's about, and that's always a darn yeah. good sign. It's a very, very good sign. Um. Commander, tell me about your sexual organs. <laughs> um, I should I should use that for the uh, sound clip. I you know I do sound clips. The yeah, yeah. <laughs> you just need that line. That's all you need. Uh, yeah, they even got jokes in here. And this was a Jerry Taylor script, I believe. I think they they did this. They did something. I forget exactly what it was, but uh, they kind of like went on a little retreat. The writers, mm-hmm. an intense thing to kind of just come up with different story ideas. You know, they went away together, and uh, I think this was the result of that. And she wrote the whole thing herself, too. She's, you know, she's a good writer. Every now and then she misses because the story isn't so interesting, but this episode is pretty much two talking heads. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's the one little yeah. science bit that we don't even remember, the null space, uh, but pretty much it's two people talking, and it works. So... A good episode. A meaningful episode. Let's move on to... Six Degrees for the Outcast. Uh, Adam, I believe you have one. Are you going first for a second? Um, I'll go first. Megan Cole plays Nor, the Janai leader that patiently listens to Soren's grievances and then orders her helpful mind-sucking. In the DS9 episodes Image in the Sand and Shadows and Symbols, she played the Romulan senator Kretak. These two episodes opened which season of DS9? Well, um, so they were back to back. So it was one of those back to back episodes that opened the season, right? Yeah, episodes one and two of which season? An image in the Sand and Shadows and Symbols, where uh, Megan Cole played Romulan Senator Cree Tech. Um, I'm going to say seven. You're correct. It was season seven. Steve, later in season seven, Cole is replaced by another actress. As Kree Tech in the episode Inter Arma Enum Silent Legacy, in which Section 31 uses Bashir to get Kree Tech removed from any position of power so that they can ensure the Romulans remain on the Federation's side in the war against the Dominion. Who plays Kree Tech here? What's the actress's name? Oh my goodness. <laughs> oh, well, I guess that last means you don't know. I only uh, asked because she was the big famous movie star in the 70s and 80s. Uh, yeah. See, I just gave you a big hint. Yeah. Good grief. Yeah, Steve, you've gotten the hard questions today. I'm just blanking on this one, I guess. Um, well, this was random. Caesar, you chose to take the first question. Yes. I'm, well, just, it, I'm not going to come up with it. Sorry. Swamp Thing. Creep Show. Escape from New York. No. Mr. Caesar, you know her name? I don't know her name. Adrian Barbeau. Okay, moving on. 
Cause and Effect, Season 5, Episode 18, Production Number 218. Original air date, March 23rd, 1992. Directed by Jonathan Frakes, written by Brandon Braga, music composed by Dennis McCarthy. Guest cast include Kelsey Grammer as Morgan Bateson, Michelle Forbes as Ro Laren, and Patty Yasutaki as Alyssa Ogawa. A temporal causality loop or a predestination paradox, more commonly referred to as a causality loop, is a theoretical phenomenon which is said to occur when a chain of cause-effect events is circular. For instance, if event A causes event B, and event B causes event C, and event C causes event A, then these events are said to be in a causality loop. There have been similar incidents reported all over the ship. Feelings of deja vu. I had a premonition Jordy was going to come into sickbay. A few seconds later, he did, with the symptoms of an ear infection. I was going to run the standard tests, but somehow I had a feeling that they would turn out negative. Cause and effect. Boy, this is probably the best opening teaser in all of Star Trek. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, the best pre-credits teaser. I don't think they ever topped this. It seems such a simple idea. Hey, let's blow up the Enterprise before the opening title. <laughs> Great. <laughs> um, this episode, of course, would be like the quintessential Brandon Braga episode. Like when you, when I think of Braga, you know, I think time travel, and then I think of time travel, like cause and effect. You know, it's it's like he Gene Roddenberry had like a standing rule about no time travel on this show, um, and Braga came up with a way to do time travel that still seemed okay because it wasn't that that normal time travel kind of story. This this loop concept and it's what's so brilliant about it is because they're they're in this loop, but they have some this sense of deja vu. That's what makes the entire thing work. It makes it so that you can see the same scenes uh, with a variation. It makes it so that because they remember something a little bit sort of. Uh, it makes it so that you can introduce new scenes. You know, you can have, I don't know, Crusher go see Picard in this one, you know, because mm-hmm. of the voices, uh, and she didn't in the last loop. Um, it's that's what makes th- this 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 script is so simultaneously brilliant and smart and simple. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. I meant simultaneously smart and simple, complex and simple. You know, it's it's odd. It's weird. It's an episode that, on paper, I don't even know that it should work. You know, there's an element of it that you think it should be boring, <laughs> mm-hmm. but it never is. And part of that's because, you know, Frakes directed this one and he he goes out of his way to um, shoot same or similar scenes differently in each loop. So much so that at one point you were like, hey, man, he must be out of option. He must be out of camera <laughs> angles because he's shooting the ready room from overhead, <laughs> you know, but it, but it's cool. You know, it, it never feels like you're really going over the same thing. Um I, I'm assuming we all just love this episode to death and can watch it seven days a week. Uh, yeah, I do like it a lot. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, go ahead, Steve or Caesar. Yeah, Steve. it's 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 just it's fun. I mean, I just I, I was I laughed out loud after the teaser. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's just it's just inter- it's that kind of entertaining. You know what I mean? And and I guess it's um I don't know. There may be a little bit of the notion of um the the kind of fans that Star Trek fans typically are the about about, you know, nuances and detail and continuity about that kind of thing. So you you know, that kind of notion of let's see this again a little different. Let's see it again a little different. Like you know, what's going on? And then and then anytime there's a mystery that also helps an episode. So there's just a lot of components that come together to make it um, you know, because well, obviously now you see it and we we know what's up. But the first time you see it, it's a it's a mystery thing. You know, like, what, what's going on here? You know, this is this is unusual. And of course, when this first aired, you know, there there was no um, you know, there's no Pulp Fiction. You know, there was no um, these kind of paradoxes right and left where things are just cut in strange ways or whatever. So it was very unusual. You know, so it was it was it was novel and it's a mystery and it's interesting and it's fun. You know. And it holds up, you know. Uh, we have seen this at the time. Nobody done anything like this before. Mm-hmm. I have no con- recollection of any sort of thing on television, or not even so much movies, you know. But nobody really done this. This is before Groundhog Day or mm-hmm. uh, 
even Pulp Fiction, you know, jumping around that that kind of story or I don't know, memento following. This is before all of that stuff, mm-hmm. you know, playing with structure. Um, so we've seen that a lot in both movies and even television by today's standards. Um, but at the time, this was this was crazy and wild. And uh, I think that's one of the reasons that it holds up so well. Maybe 20 years from now, it won't hold up as well. Because <laughs> it doesn't have a lot, as, you know, our point of our show is usually that... Uh, the stuff where we can say of something for what it's about, or the ones, you know, these, you know, the ones that discuss universal themes like the outcast are the ones that hold up. Um, but it's, I don't know that we're going to have much to say for what cause and effect is about. Um, so maybe eventually it's going to taper off and not be so exciting, but to me, it's still, it still totally is. And, um, that sort of structure was so ahead of its time at the time. Well, I think that there's something to be said for that. You know, I mean, yeah, I think you can't you can't come up with novel structure every time. That's impossible. But I think, you know, if if you can create something that is interesting and fun and the primary reason why is because of the structure of it, which is something generally speaking would not be you wouldn't think of as being a big reason why something's interesting. It's so hard to do that in a new way. You know, obviously then you, you there's this is very creative. You know, it's 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 something new for the time. Caesar? Um, yeah, I think you look at this episode and you see the, the next generation um, guys, they really started per- perfecting these bottle episodes. Um, there's several of these episodes that are kind of similar to this one that were made in the first, second, third season possibly. That One that comes to mind is where Picard is like sent back in time and he can't speak properly because he's in a mm-hmm. different dimension and you know i I think if we go back and we listen to that podcast we were all kind of like iffy about that episode this one is they kind of they start getting it right and they start getting these bottle episodes right more and more and more and more whereas in early on it was like very much hit or miss um i remember watching this episode and really enjoying it a lot even throughout the years i don't think it's quite held up for me as much because you know you you know, once you watch the episode a million times, you the mystery's gone. So I kind of found myself wanting to see more of. Um, but they still blow Kel- up the Enterprise at every commercial. Yeah, I know, I, I know, but I'm just saying that <laughs> I don't. I don't know if I would necessarily agree with you that I could watch this episode over and over and over again. Um, or even like I might be able to stop and watch it while flipping through channels. But I kind of found myself at the end of this episode going, you know, I want more of um, Frasier. I want to know what's going on on that ship. Mm-hmm. How did they get yeah. over there? And it's just because, and I think that's just because. You, you know, you can only watch and because there isn't a lot this episode is saying about anything. So it doesn't it doesn't hold up for me as much as it used to. It's still a very entertaining episode. I enjoy it, but it doesn't quite hold up for me as much as it did in the past because once you once the mystery's up, I mean it's only so many times you can watch it. Well the mystery is even when, you know, we the viewer know kind of what's going on to see them dealing with the mystery it's still that the sequence when they're predicting the cards is in the card game that's really exciting to me i love that moment you know you um, know and i think this comes down to the fact that i thought their last sequence through was the weakest of them all they seemed like they went through it really quick and by that time all the clues had been were were up you know there was no mystery in that last sequence it's just like okay we got to get through this last sequence so we can you know, so we can save ourselves. So I think that's kind of where I, I got a little bit bored at the end. I'm like going in that very last sequence. I guess I, yeah, I can see that. Um, Cause I gave everything away. That's not the, the last yeah. sequence is not the one you remember, right? It's, it's not the it's most the one, exciting one. It's the one before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Um, yeah, that's the one where they really figure out what's going on. That's the one where, you know, Data has the they Crusher gets the recording with the one thousand overlapping voices. That's where they're sitting in the red room and he's playing it back and you hear Ricard. Yeah. <laughs> All hands abandoned ship. And that, I mean that must be a crazy yeah, you- you get yeah, that freaky that, yeah, moment. Yeah, that was not the last one, right? Yeah, that you get that freaky moment where they're all guessing the cards, you know that Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you know, uh, I mean, this is going to come off as a stretch, and I know we're wait, not. Wait, wait, wait! But that—that's something I'm saying I like. Oh, okay. In that, you're, yeah, because in the last sequence is when they just have the number three. 
Right. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry, Steve. Well, I was going to say, I know this is going to come off as a stretch, and we're not necessarily saying, okay, so what is this about? Is there possibly anything this could be about? But I think one thing that is interesting to note is that it is true that the sequence prior to the last one is the most interesting one because it's the one it's the, where the struggle happens. It's the one where you've got to figure out what's wrong so you can make it right the next time. And I, th- I think if, if there is something it can be about, it's the notion of learning from mistakes. You know, you, you watch for cycles, watch for plans. I mean, obviously this is a sci-fi convention. This is, you can't really, um, you know, this doesn't happen in real life, but you do have things that you learn from. You have patterns that develop and, and then you have dramatic tenuous, tedious things that happen and that you, and, you know, ultimately you're, you're looking for everything to be just right and at peace, you know, with yourself, with everything else in your life or whatever else too. And sometimes you have to go through these little, little deaths, little explosions, little disasters <laughs> to make that happen. I mean, right. I, I, I yeah, think, yeah. I know it's a well, little bit of a stretch, but to me, yeah, I did no, think no. of that when I watched it. You know, no, no, Steve. I would no. It's not too much of a stretch. There's some religious beliefs out there that think we live the same life over and over and over, <laughs> and, over and over again. So, um, no, it's not. I would. I, I I agree with what you're saying. Now, the last time through the loop, it does have its own mini mystery. You know, what is the, the number three all mm-hmm. about? Mm-hmm. So, I think it, it from that point of view, it kind of works that they're not. It would be boring if they literally retreaded. Mm-hmm. Retreaded. Retread the exact <laughs> yeah. same, um, you know, mystery because we've already seen them figure that out. Um, so it's in a way, it's it's good. It's just that the figuring out three isn't as interesting as watching Picard listening to himself here say "All hands band's chip." Right. Um, but you know, and I've heard in my research that there were some people that were like maybe disappointed with the uh, resolution of what is the three. You know, I always liked that. It always worked for me. You know. Um, be, yeah, you could get picky and say, like, maybe there's too much time going on and Data's sitting there figuring it out. And, you know, he looks over to Riker and I don't know, I don't care about all that, you know, fine. But at that moment, that close up of him and he turns and he sees the three pips, you know, um, I'm just exciting. It, was, it still is to me. I, yeah, definitely. Another thing about this episode, and I know we're guilty of never not talking about the music enough on this podcast because it's always so good and we just take it for granted because we suck. Um, but the music in this episode, remind me, Steve, who was it? Um, this was the Dennis McCarthy. Oh, great. Good. Cause I love Dennis McCarthy. <laughs> uh, the music in this episode is really good because it's always ominous. Even simple little things. It's, it's ominous, you know, and it gives the entire episode this, this dark tone. It makes sure that this episode has this dark tone. You know, it's it's like this is not being played like Groundhog Day. Well, again, this was this predated Groundhog Day, but it's not being played like that. The, watching the exact same scene a couple of times, maybe it could. I don't know. There, there's elements of it that maybe could be funny or something, but the music grounds it and makes sure you understand. Don't forget, this is life or death, and this is terrifying. She's hearing these whispers in her quarters, and she knew they were going to come, and then she hears them, and that is freaking terrifying and you should be terrified you know it's very good and it's it's all very smart choices yeah and it's it is easy to take that for granted and it's challenging because you know there's there's a fine balance there i mean you know if if music is setting a tone and a mood it's doing its job and if it you know of course oftentimes it doesn't stop you know and it doesn't stop short of trying to make you feel a certain way which we all recognize as you know, kind of tedious and annoying you know <laughs> when it when it comes mm-hmm. in and says like Okay, this is the part where you clap, or this is the part where you should be scared, or something like that. And it doesn't do that when it can set a tone overall. And that's very impressive. Well, Steve, you already gave us a, you already gave us a what it's about, huh? Uh, I guess so. Kind of jumped the gun there. That was my that's my opinion on on. Oh my god! You know something I with a, a little silly little thing that I love in this episode. Maybe they've talked about this before in other episodes. I don't remember, but I love, I love, love, love the bit near the end. Uh, when they finally get out of the loop, and he says, "See if you can access a Federation time-based beacon," so, <laughs> so we can find out just how you know how long we've been stuck in this loop, and they've determined it's been 17 days. I love the idea that there's these little starfleet, you know, probes or just like little lighthouses or something that all they do <laughs> all around the galaxy. That they're just so you can ch- check your watch. Yeah. <laughs> You know, it, it does. If you think about it, like the whole, especially in the original series and the way the star dates worked and the explanation uh-huh. being, well, it's just because whenever they travel faster than the speed of light, 
if time gets all screwed up, well, okay, you know. Hey, we but, we did we did get a year in this episode twenty two seventy eight for Mister Kelsey Grammer. Oh, that he was from, yeah. Yeah, he oh, gave the actually the exact year. He was and was this up the episode? I think was this the one where they was it one of the other, one of the ones today during the card game? No, oh, you got the twenty one sixty four. Twenty one sixty one. That was not this episode. That was in the Outcast. Yeah, in, in the Outcast, we didn't even mention that, but that was a big thing right there. Troy says. The Federation uh, was oh, yeah, yes, formed yes. in twenty one sixty one. Another one of those little throwaway things, but yeah, you don't know. But you, huge the reason ramifications. I, well, I notice them because you rarely ever hear an actual year that's in yeah. The, it's usually know. star dates, which are kind of meaningless yeah. to us. Well, it's a good thing those time beacons don't like automatically update people when there's something wrong. Otherwise, we wouldn't have much of an episode, you know, because <laughs> <laughs> they're going along. It's like uh, you got a problem. <laughs> you know? <laughs> The time's off. Yeah. Um, I like yeah. that. Well, uh, no, because when they're stuck in the loop, doesn't that mean within the... Where are they? The Typhon Expanse? Maybe within that expanse, in that moment, it's they're only, they'd only be getting the signal from the, from the, from the time beacon from, that's wrong because it's... Stuck in that time when it from the time it entered the expanse or something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we could well, come up with something. I mean, there's yeah. gonna be some distortion around this, you know, thing. Well, this, yeah. The way I read it is like the Enterprise actually had to contact the beacon to correct itself. It didn't right. actually transmit all the time. Yeah, and it's a good thing. Like, I mean, what time zone is that even in? I don't even like. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it said 17 days, but I'm not sure if this is the Pacific Beacon. Are we on daylight or standard? Yeah, Are we spring forward yet? Or or what's that? I don't know. So, how many crew members are on the Enterprise? What is it, like 1,200? 1,000-something. Yeah, like, <laughs> picturing data, listening to all the conversations. I love that he had, you know, there was like five people getting it on. He had to listen oh, yeah. to those. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to play you back a particular recording that I found out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There's some more Braga writing right there. <laughs> so yeah, I, I I've I've always really enjoyed this one. I always always remember this episode as being so exciting. And I really I'm not kidding when I say I don't think they ever had a better teaser in all of Star Trek before or since. You can't really top that. And if, and if for those of you out there who have the Blu-ray, the commentary with uh, Brandon Braga and Seth MacFarlane is pretty entertaining. I found <laughs> so check it out. Cool. All Let's right. That. That's that. That must be new then, right? For the yeah. For the, yeah. Um. Just on a side note, I know we don't give um Crusher sometimes we don't give her her due, but she had two pretty strong episodes in yeah. this podcast. Mm-hmm. So True. it's easy to forget that she's kind of the driver in cause and effect, pretty much start yeah. to finish. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It never feels like a Crusher episode, but she is really the, the driving force in this in this episode. Hmm. So thank you for mentioning that. That's a good point. Um, yeah, I think we should move on to six degrees for cause and effect. Golly, let's see. The score is two to nothing. Is that right? I believe so. Yes. All right, so Steve, do you want to go first or second? I'll go first. Patty, uh, again, this is this was sort of a model episode, although a really expensive one since they blew up four models worth of the Enterprise. <laughs> um, but there really wasn't any normal uh, re- recurring actor actresses, so I'm just here to get trivia. Patty Yasutake's Yasutake's, excuse me, Patty Yasutake's nurse Ogawa gets her last name in this episode. Ogawa. We'd heard her first name in previous episodes. What was it? I believe it's Alyssa. You're correct. It was Alyssa. So, yeah, they gave us her first name in other episodes, but this is the first episode where they mentioned her last name. Hmm. All right. Uh, Adam? Yes. The USS Bozeman is a redress of what Starship model? Um, the Reliant? You are correct. It was the Reliant. 3-1. Congratulations, Mr. Caesar. Steve did get the hard questions today. I know. Yes, yes. You guys oh, were not I... as much of a fan of Adrian Barbeau and her attributes as I was as a child. <laughs> oh, I, oh, hey, on a quick, real quick, we, I didn't bring it up. I forgot. What? How, how did everybody like Jordy's one episode beard? <laughs> it still sticks out to me. Apparently, I mean, nobody else liked it. Cause it yeah, <laughs> it went away pretty quick. 
Did he have a beard in one of the movies too? No. Maybe like a little little pencil beard that kind of you know. First contact, he's got a little something. I think. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, I guess it, him and Riker had a beard off, and we know who lost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. He he just he never is able to uh, break out, is he? <laughs> every every time he tries, yeah. I think my my guess is Jordy was trying it out because he thought the women would like it more. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, but what are you gonna do? All right, that was a good one, man. We're fast approaching the end of um, season five, huh? Indeed. Mm. Okay. So, listeners, thank you for spending an hour with us today. We hope you'll be back in two weeks as we tackle the next three episodes of Next Gen. Uh, Till then, you can follow us on Twitter. That's at Trek Companion. Our our Facebook listener page is facebook.com slash Trek Companion. You can send us an email, trekcompanion at gmail.com. So thanks again. Until next time, take it easy. Bye, guys. See you. I passed it.